0: There is a passage of Scripture that bothers me, Um, maybe more, can I say, convicts me, challenges me, maybe, can I be so bold enough to say it, it upsets or aggravates me. I'll have to admit, there's probably more than one that does that, but my options are this, argue with the forever settled Word of God or line up to it. That's kind of my options. I would imagine if I took a poll in this room, and all of you good people that are here, some watching and joining us online, if I ask you, do you want to please God? I think the overwhelming response would be yes, or I think you would have chose to do something else even tonight. Of course you want to please God. We all know the verse in Hebrews eleven six that says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We read that verse. We quote part of that verse and, and agree that we have to have faith. But we all believe. I, I think that we, we, we do, every man's given a measure of faith, and so it's the faith that God exists. And, and I think we believe in God. And so in our minds, I think we can just, yeah, I get an A on that test because I do believe he is God. I do believe that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I believe those things, and that's that's faith in him. But this other passage that I want to talk about tonight gives us some more information about pleasing God. Uh, Again, this, this, this portion of Scripture just rattles me, and so let me just maybe share with you what God has been dealing with me about. Romans 8, 5 through 9 goes like this. For they that are after the flesh, they mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, they mind the things of the Spirit. And we have another going different ways. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded, it's those that go after the flesh, is death. But to be spiritually minded, it's those who go after the spirit that verse 5 was talking about. That's life, and that's peace. Seven, but the carnal mind is enmity against God. for It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot... Please God. But you're not in the flesh, verse 8 says, but in the spirit. And there's that little big word, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Buckle your seatbelts, clutch your pearls, it is going to be bumpy. We're gonna go specifically look at verse seven, but let me just say something about verse nine. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And again, if, if, if the Spirit of God dwell in you, in order to not be in the flesh, in order to not mind the things of the flesh, In order to walk after the Spirit, you must have the Spirit of God dwell in you. Not just talk in tongues. Not just attend church. Not just be nice to your neighbor. Not just clap your hands during worship songs. The Spirit must dwell in you it must reside it must take up residence this is not a picture of a vacation home this is not a picture of going to visit somewhere and staying at a hotel it is if i ask you the question where do you live and you gave me your address where do you pay the bill what do you pay the bills for what is that place of abode where do you spend 90-plus percent of every night, possibly. That is your home. That is your residence. That's where you abide. The Bible tells us that we are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If the address for the Spirit is your life, not just the place that He visits you on the weekends or when you're in trouble, But if the Spirit abides in you, and even the rest of the verse, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. In the context, it is, if the Spirit does not abide, does not stay Monday through Sunday, 365, 24-7, Then the Bible says, you're none of his. But I sing in the choir. That's not the deciding factor. But I'm on the pastoral staff. That's not the deciding factor. But I'm faithful to the house of God. That's not what the verse is saying to look at. But I'm a large donor to the kingdom of God. That doesn't make you his. I've been raised in this and four generations previous to me have been raised in this. That's not the qualifier. According to the word of God, in order for you to say that you belong to Jesus is if he abides, if he lives, if He takes up residence at all times in you. He's my everything. No, he's not if he doesn't abide in you. He's my heavenly father. No, he's not unless he abides in you. He's my Lord and Savior. No, just declaring something does not make it so. He has to be Lord of everything, Lord of all, and Lord all the time. I'm telling you, this passage of scripture has worked me over. I can look all spiritual, I can sound all spiritual, I can act all spiritual, I can proclaim to be spiritual. But if he does not abide, if he does not live in me, it is more than I'm not spiritual. It's even to the point I don't belong to him. I want to come back to this passage in Romans, but let me take a little detour and Let's look at John 15 for a moment. I, I taught an entire series on this some time back, but I, I want to touch on something here. Let's, let's go to John 15, 1 through 6, where Jesus is speaking. He said, I'm the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide. There's that word again. Abide in me. I'll abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, he can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. The fruit of a branch is the end product of all it has done with what has been taken in through what it's connected to. Okay, let me say that again. I know that's kind of a, it's a it's, there's a lot to this, but listen close. The fruit of a branch, that's the end product of all that that branch has done with what it has taken in through what it's connected to. Jesus is saying the same thing is true with people. What you produce has everything to do with what or whom you're connected to. Let me read again another verse, a few verses in Matthew 7, starting at verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. They look the part, but inwardly, They are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes? Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. I'm reading the word to you. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is shewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them you're going to bear fruit and everyone can tell where you abide and who abides in you by the type of fruit you are bearing. So I asked the question, where are you getting your nourishment from? What are you connected to? Where are you getting your water, your food? Are you getting water from the rivers of living water? Are you getting fed by the bread of life? Or are you connected to something else? I'm talking about abiding here. God abiding in us and us abiding in God. When you are getting your nourishment from the vine, there is some fruit it will never produce. That's what the word tells us. Let me read another passage of scripture that paints a very clear picture for us if we're willing to hear it and let it speak to us. Galatians 5:16, several verses here. This I say then: walk in the spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. That's that enmity with God. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now this gets real good nighttime reading here to go to sleep on. But... (laughs) Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. We can do all kinds of word studies. We're not going to just go quickly through these. This is those who walk not after the spirit, but after the flesh. These are those who don't mind the things of the spirit. They mind the things of the flesh. These are the people who have a carnal mind. These are the people who who, who are at enmity with God. This is the type of fruit that they are bearing. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But if you follow after the Spirit, if you're connected to the vine, if, you're, if you, are, do you mind the things of the Spirit, there's some fruit here that sounds a whole lot better. Love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory or, or boastful or, or conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Are we, are we getting this yet? This is some serious stuff that I think the Word of God proclaims to us about if we are going to abide in Jesus or if we are not. We must be connected to the vine. The Word must have more influence in our life Then my friends, my family, the media, anything, he has to have preeminence in my life. We are kidding ourselves if we think that somehow we can sneak into the kingdom of God. We are deceiving ourselves if we think we can abide in Jesus and he abide in us and we don't obey him. We rarely pray or we read the Bible very little. Ladies and gentlemen, it's 2024, and we need to make up our minds that we are going to have the mind of Christ and let him abide in us. It's amazing what begins to happen to my wishes and my wants and my desires and my opinions when I start abiding in Jesus. Maybe my Bible study is kind of twofold tonight. One is I want everybody to be part of the kingdom, I want everybody to get to heaven. But the second may be a little more self serving. It's a lot easier to pastor a church where people are spiritual. And before you cast stones, it's a lot easier to be married if you're spiritual. It's a lot easier to raise children if you're spiritual. It's a lot easier to have your job if you're spiritual. There's so many things that are better off when we follow after the Spirit. Where God wants to take this church, we have to be Spirit-led. I know that sounds silly when we're talking about what we consider to be a spiritual institution, but I'm trying to push us all a little here at the beginning of the year that we have to allow God to abide in us, take up residence enough, move some furniture around if he has to throw some things out, if he doesn't like it, he has to live in us. I said I'll get back to Romans 8, so here we go. According to the passage, they that are living in the flesh do what the flesh wants. Those who are living in the spirit do what God wants. If you're in the flesh, that leads to death was the next verse. If you spiritually minded, that leads to life and peace. And then the writer even gives a reason. And this is what I want to look at at the remainder of our time together. Romans 8, 7, the reason. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Paul is writing, and and Paul's don't pull any punches way, says the carnal mind is enmity against God. That, that's quite a heavy statement. That's quite a serious accusation of the carnal mind. Because if we're thinking carnally or fleshly, again, that's that's not spiritual, that's not a spiritual mind. Now, when we look, let's go back to Genesis real quick and let's think of this. When we look Man was created in the image of God. God walked with man in the garden of Eden in the cool of the day. So that type of accusation that he created you in his image and and you—and you, man walked with God. And now he's saying that your carnal mind is enmity against God again, if we stick to Genesis, this all happened in the garden. The fall of Adam was really everyone's fall. We, we all fell kind of with him. So now this carnal mind, oh, it's the same mind that was created and was holy and made in the image of God. It is now tarnished and fallen and sinful, and he is at enmity with God. Some translations would say the mind of the flesh is enmity against God. That natural mind that was given to us from our fallen condition, the the fleshly mind, the, the passions of the soul, the lust that we have, that's what has gone astray and is now at enmity against God. To maybe drive this home just a little bit further, the apostle Paul says the carnal mind is enmity against God. He's not saying the carnal mind is merely opposed to God. It is in and of itself enmity. It is not just corrupt, it's corruption. It's not just rebellious, it's rebellion. It's not just wickedness, it's wickedness. It's not just it's not at enmity with God. The carnal mind is enmity against God. Not just an aversion to His dominion and His laws or His doctrines. The carnal mind is against God. Just for the sake of even furthering this, we can look through the history books, read accounts of people who were left to their own way. The Bible even sometimes says that they all got in trouble and doing all these things. It says because every man did according to what he wanted to do, what he thought was right. Let me read some more passages. Romans 3 9. Going through for verses here. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin, as it is written. He's quoting the psalmist here. There is none righteous, no, not one. That there's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Listen to this. Their throat is an open sepulcher, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Again, it is a very, very bleak and terrible picture of the carnal mind. And I know... (laughs) Oh, I, trust me, I've wrestled. I, I know that we want to argue and wrestle this down into it because we attend the sanctuary and I'm the pastor here and because we proclaim to know and love Jesus, I again ask the question, is he abiding in you? Don't recoil in thinking, I'm not like them. no. Maybe not to the fullest extent as some evil that has been done. But ladies and gentlemen, then I warn that we don't excuse ourselves either. I love this thought from Charles Spurgeon. He wrote, the the best of men have been always the readiest to confess their depravity. The holiest men, the most free from impurity, have always felt it most. He whose garments are the widest will best perceive the spots upon them. He whose crown shineth the brightest will know when he hath lost a jewel. He who giveth the most light to the world will always be able to discover his own darkness. Such powerful truths. I've noticed that oftentimes it's the spiritual ones or the ones I think I would acclaim as spiritual giants who readily confess and say, God convicted me of this, and I'm just looking at them. They so easily can feel that conviction because they have mind the things of the Spirit. King David, the man after God's own heart. Behold, I was shaping in iniquity, he says. In sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 51, entire confession and repentance is what this man did. Isaiah, the great prophet, when he got in the presence of the Lord, he said, I'm unclean in his presence. Wasn't it the great apostle Paul who said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He called himself the chiefest of sinners. It concerns me that sometimes the most carnal don't see themselves as carnal. And I think it's probably because when something's dirty, what's one more spot? But it's those who's walking in the spirit. Those who have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb. They can easily see a spot. And they'll easily fix that. I know. This is uncomfortable. But but, this next part, really. But let me drive my point further home. Not that we need it because the word of God proclaims it and that settles it. But let me ask you the question. Have you ever wanted to do just whatever you wanted to do without consequence of any sort? Let me ask this a different way. And they they ask this many times. I will hear people say this is is to tell what kind of character you have. But I, I want to use it to show you a carnal mind left unchecked. And the question I'll ask you is if you knew no one would ever find out and there would be no consequences what would you do? I hate that question because if I sat and pondered that question I'd be faced with my carnal mind and realize it's absolutely enmity against God. So for a Safe example here behind the pulpit. Maybe you could think in your mind, oh, I wish, oh, if I could, I'd, I'd kill that person off. Is not that hatred. You wish you could rob a bank and I'd have millions of dollars. Is that greed? The carnal mind is enmity with God. Or maybe you wish God wasn't so strict on certain things. Don't be so harsh online. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burned the fire. Don't be so harsh online because man, it'd be easy if I could just lie everyone. The carnal mind is enmity. Don't be so hard on sexual sins or fornication. The carnal mind is enmity with God. Don't be so uptight about separation from the world or world or distinction between the sexes. Again, that want is just the carnal mind, maybe trying to change God to get its way. The carnal mind is enmity against God. And before I look down my nose of pride at someone. The statement Paul uses is universal. It's very broad. He was talking to the church in Rome, but he used it as a very broad paintbrush to simply say all carnal minds are enmity with God. Every mind that has not been made spiritual, by the Spirit of God dwelling in us. This means that that young baby that is born does not have to be trained to do evil. The carnal mind is present. I believe we need to train our children in the Lord and we need to live right before them that they have a carnal mind ladies and gentlemen and moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and church at large the best thing we can do for our children is teach them how to let God abide in them They say that as soon as a young crocodile breaks out of that shell, it puts itself in the posture of attack. It wasn't trained. It's part of the nature. Take a lion born in captivity. Train that lion all you want. Try to domesticate it all you want. And that lion is still in there. And that fierce, wild nature is still part of it. Ken, I don't want to compare us to animals, but the nature is there the carnal mind is enmity you can go to church you can listen to the word of God being preached you can be a part of a team and volunteer you can dress right you can act right and do the best that you can to live right what I'm getting at is if you can look the part and not be the part You can have an outward, somewhat superficial religion. But if you have a carnal mind, a carnal nature, you are still at enmity against God. Good night, Brother Blam. Your vacation not very good. 2024, and this is the this is the best you got coming back to us. I'm sorry. I don't want to come across any way but highly concerned. This is not my message. This comes, I'm reading Scripture to you tonight. If we have not been changed and converted... And have a new heart where old things are passed away, transformed by the renewing of our mind. If he's not abiding in us, we are minding the things of the flesh. And that carnal mind is enmity against God. We can argue that we feel the presence of God. Wonderful. We can argue that we talk in tongues on occasion. Great. We can state that we've been baptized in his name. That's exciting. Even declare that we've been used in the gifts of the Spirit and what a privilege. None of that negates the fact that the carnal mind is always and at all times enmity against God. So let me read another passage from Charles Spurgeon so you can blame him and not me. The wolf may sleep, but it's still a wolf still. The snake with its azure hues may slumber amid the flowers and the child may stroke its slimy back, but it is a serpent still. It does not change its nature, though it is dormant. The sea is the house of storms, even when it is a glassy as a even when it is glassy as a lake. The thunder is still the mighty rolling thunder when it is so much aloft that we hear it not, and the heart when we perceive not its bubbling over, when it belches not forth its lava, and sendeth not forth the hot stones of its corruption, it's still the same dread volcano at all times, at all hours, at every moment. If you're carnal, he says, you're each one of you enmity against God. It would seem maybe unfair to try to help you appease your conscience and continually live in a way that's causing you trouble. If God's not abiding, continually abiding, in control, Lord of everything, then I feel very compelled to tell you strap in your seatbelts, you're against God. We cannot be a spirit-led church. We cannot have a spirit-led life if we are against God. Our carnal mind is hostile against the things of God. To this group I'm speaking to, I can honestly say, from what I know of you, you're all wonderful people and great people, and I thank God for you daily. You want to do right, You want to have revival. You want God's will to be done. But is that just lip service? Is that just what we think and not how we live our lives? Folks, we cannot be carnal. And the only way not to be carnal is to let God abide in us. Holiness does not make sense when you're carnal. Separation from the world is silly when you're carnal. Exuberant praise is awkward and unnecessary when we're carnal. Being so adamant about preaching the truth of the word of God to the point of possibly offending is ridiculous to the carnal mind. He is our maker, he's our creator, he's our king, he's our heavenly father, yes. But he's also our legislator, our lawmaker, and our ruler. In him, I live, I move, I have my being. He is sovereign and supreme for us creatures who are fully dependent on him. What type of or size, or level of sin is it to be at enmity against him. I'm not saying that if we remain carnally minded, we, we may not be able to follow the Holy Ghost in during a service. Or if we remain carnally minded, well, it's just, it's not a good idea, and we, we may not be able to, to, to understand some things. No, I'm not saying it's just that. I'm saying to be carnally minded is a gross, horrible sin. To be opposed to the God who created us. To be opposed to the one we are forever dependent upon. To be carnally minded is in hostility against God and if there's such a way to make this even worse I have to then ask you the question why why are you against God why are you hostile towards God why do you have a carnal mind is it pride is it you won't submit to anyone or anything? Is it will not, you'll not put your flesh under subjection? And as the scripture says, crucify the flesh. Is, that the, is it laziness? You won't take time to abide in Jesus? Is it selfishness? You won't allow him to rule in your life and clean things up how he wants it to be? Is it you're so blinded by sin or, or the God of this world you don't even realize what you're doing? I understand why there would be maybe some of you not real happy with me or a little aggravated or hostile. Or, my worst concern is that you're in denial towards what I'm saying tonight. Because this isn't easy to hear. It's not easy to preach. It's not easy for God to work me over with this. I told you this passage has torn me up, but it is the word of God says this. Choose who you'll serve. There's no third option. Two masters, you'll serve one and hate the other. Period. Case closed. We can argue until we are blue in the face that we love God, that we love the things of God. But again, I don't want to be a broken record, but I'm going to drive this home the best I can. But is Jesus abiding? When he abides in you and you in him, there is communion, there is listening, there is obeying, there is praying, there is crucifying the flesh, there is ingesting the word, there is submission, there are marks of devotion, we bear certain fruit, we come out from among them, we are separated to God when he abides. Your fruit is showing where you are drawing your nourishment from. If God is abiding in you, there are certain places He won't go. If God is abiding in you, there are certain songs He won't listen to. If God is abiding in you, there are certain things He won't wear. There are certain thoughts He won't think. There are certain things He won't watch. There are certain things He won't say. That's if God's abiding in you. Beg of every one of us to be real and let God speak to you. Be honest with yourselves if the things of this world are more desirous than the things of God, we may be carnally minded. If what I personally accomplish and the accolades I receive are more important than the advancement of the kingdom and Him receiving all the glory, I may be carnally minded. If I can't submit to one another and I have to have my way all the time, I just very well may still be carnally minded. If I never have time to be in his presence, time to pray, time to study his word, that may be real signs that I'm still carnally minded. You do the test. You ask yourself the hard questions. And you allow the Holy Ghost to speak to you. What a terrible, horrible, fearful sin to be hostile towards God. To be against God. But if you're carnally minded, that's exactly the sin. The only Antidote that I find in Scripture is you let him abide. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You belong to him. Let him abide. If you don't, I don't have any way to gently say it, so I'll let the word say it again. Romans 5, 6 through 9. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither can and indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, in the spirit. but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. And if any man have not the spirit of Christ. He's none of his. Ladies and gentlemen, I take my task in the pulpit tonight extremely serious. We cannot be carnally minded. That is against God. Can we stand together in this place? And again, I, I, I know I shouldn't apologize, but in a heavy, heavy sermon. I realize that, but, but folks, this we can't go where God wants us to go. There will be constant fighting and confusion and stuff when I've got to have, because it's against God. When God moves and says, let's do this, the carnal mind will fight against that. And the carnal mind bears fruit that you don't want to have in your family and we don't want to have in this church. God help us. Somebody pray that his spirit will abide in you. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. Come on. yield to the spirit somebody let the spirit talk Somebody receive the word of God into your spirit. Yes, oh God. He's calling us deeper, folks. He's calling us closer. do it like this. This is a dismissal. Whenever you feel free to go, that's fine. If you want to stay and pray, absolutely no judgment. Either way, if you need to go, absolutely we understand. But Jesus is here talking to hearts. Let him do that. Let him talk to yours. God bless each one.